Hello ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to another episode of So I'm Married a Horror Fan. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening and good day. Uh, I'm one of your hosts, Simon. And I'm Lee. And we are back with a very special episode. We are looking at one of 2022's most anticipated releases. We are looking at Scream, aka Scream 5, aka 5 Cream however you want to say it. Five cream. Um, so you know the drill by now. The first part of this episode is going to be our initial non-spoiler thoughts. Uh, and then the second half of this interview, uh, interview, the second half of this review will be full spoilers. We will put in the episode description all the timestamps you require and we will tell you when we are going from non-spoiler to spoiler. Please, if you haven't seen the film and you listen to the spoiler section of this, that is on you. That is not on us. You will have ample warning. So please, if you haven't seen the film, don't have a go at us if it's ruined because you listened to the episode regardless. There will be times when we tell you that what is non-spoiler and spoiler. With that said, we are just going to jump straight into our initial thoughts. Having just seen this movie a couple of hours ago. Um, so, I'll start with you uh, for the non-spoiler set part of this review. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, what, like, what did you think of this movie? What were your, what, what, what were your thoughts going into it? What were your thoughts coming out of it? Like, what was your overall experience watching this movie? So, as everyone kind of knows, I'm not a huge Scream fan. Like, it's not like the be all and end all. Like, oh my god, Scream is the best thing ever made. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? But saying that, I was reasonably excited to see this because obviously we've watched all of the screen movies together at this point. Yes. So I was very excited to watch the newest one with you. Yeah, we saw the whole franchise, didn't we? Scream 1, Scream 2, Scream 3, Scream 4, Scary Movie 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. Yeah. <laughs> and now Scream 5. 5 Cream. 5 Cream. Um, so yeah, it was really, really, really enjoyable. Um, it is a really fun film to watch which to be fair i'd kind of anticipated because it is uh radio silence mm-hmm. um but yeah no i didn't really go in expecting too much because i'm not a huge um scream fan but yeah i really enjoyed it it was super fun and it uh, it still manages to poke fun at the genre which i quite like yeah one thing I found really interesting was, like, obviously I'd seen, like, f- stuff online from people that had seen it. Like, a lot of the horror critics who I follow on social media had seen it. People like uh, Lee McCoy from Drum Dums, Critical Overlord, uh, Megan Navarro from Bloody Disgusting, etc. Um, Heather Wixon as well from Daily Dead. And everybody kind of said the same thing. They were like, you know, with the exception of Lee from Drum Dums, it was kind of like the movie that people had been waiting for. Like a lot of people said it was really funny, but we saw it at like an 11 o'clock show in this morning and our cinema was like, it had a reasonable amount of people in it, but I don't remember a lot of people laughing. I laughed quite a lot. Yeah, but I don't remember hearing much laughter from the audience. I didn't think it was as funny as some of the others. Um, I think the first one and the second one are still the funniest for me, I think. Um, with that said, I mean, I had a lot of expectations going into this movie. I had a lot of trepidation. Um, 
as you kind of would expect because you know it's a, a sequel that's coming 11 years after the last one and it's a brand new creative team my favorite thing is that it gets referred to in canon as a requel yeah but we'll go into that a little <laughs> Which bit more I love. like in the second half of the episode yeah. um yeah so i was kind of cautiously optimistic i think i don't i don't think i walked away loving it as much as what a lot of other people did. Like, I saw one of the reviews that said, like, fuck me, wow, like, this is amazing. Like, And a lot of reviews have said that the film is amazing. I I think it's better than 4 and 3, but I don't think it's as good as 2. Um, there are some minor issues that I have with the film, uh, which I'll get into a little bit more in the second half of this episode. But for me, it's one of those movies where... There were moments where I was kind of watching it being like, I've seen this all before, or I know exactly what's going to happen. And yeah, they managed to fake you out a couple of times, but for general, like for for someone who's like grown up with this franchise and all of the movies that were spawned in the wake of this franchise, I think it takes a lot to surprise me. Um, and there are a couple of opportunities that I feel storytelling wise that they could have taken that they didn't take. Um and I feel like there's a couple of different avenues that they could have gone down, which would have made the overall story more satisfying for what they were trying to do. Um, I love the the commentary aspect of it, like talking about sort of like taking shots at like A4 style horror, uh, A24 style horror movies and things like that. I thought that was very clever and that was very well done. Yeah. Um, I thought the acting was solid. I don't think there was really a duff performance in it. Um, performance. I think I think the only character who doesn't get a huge amount to do character-wise is Vince, who's played by Kyle Golner. Mm-hmm. Like he is very one note throughout his whole performance. He is just very like I'm super creepy, and that's kind of like. But isn't that just Kyle Golner? <laughs> yeah, but I feel like they like kind in of every film he plays like I'm super creepy, and we go. Okay. I feel like they tried to set him up early as like a red herring of like, he looks like Billy Loomis and he's a bit of a creep and he like is, without saying too much, that like he's always kind of suspiciously hanging around. Um, And there's a couple of characters in this movie that they kind of try too hard to make you think that it could be them as the killer slash killers, depending on who is obviously the, the reveal at the end. But yeah, I think his performance was the only one that I was kind of like, if he was cut from the movie, I don't think I would have cared too much. No. Um, him and Liv, I think, are the two characters, which is ironic given how they're kind of like linked in the movie. Um, I would have cut both of those characters out and I think you wouldn't have lost anything from the movie. And you, I would have given some other characters a little bit more Screen uh, time. like room to breathe and yeah. stuff. Um, I like the use of the legacy characters. Um, I think the way the way that they brought uh, Dewey, Gale, and Sydney all back together was really interesting. Um, and it's interesting to see where they are all at in their lives now, mm-hmm. um, especially like so long. Like for me personally, like I, you know, you can talk about all the new characters and blah blah blah, etc. All you want, but for me, it's really interesting just every time they make one of these movies, seeing, like, where those three are at in their lives. Mm-hmm. Um, because, to me, like, they're the characters that these movies follow. Because 
for all intents and purposes, all of the new cast don't really last very long in these movies. And those three are always the mainstays. Um, it is weird kind of watching a Scream movie. This is two Scream movies in a row now where we've had like no references to Cotton Weary, which is kind of interesting after he got bumped off in Scream 3. It's oh. kind of interesting, like considering he was such a big... Cotton. Central, like this isn't really a spoiler, but considering the whole point in this movie is going back to the original... Like, he's never mentioned once, given how integral to those first couple of movies he is. And I thought that was kind of interesting, that he was never really mentioned. Pull one out for our fallen homie. Um, and, like, Randy, it's like, they don't mention him in Scream 4, but he gets a nice little mention in, in this. Yeah. Which I think is quite cool. Yeah, it's like some nice little nods to, like, the original cast. Yeah. Uh, which is really cool. Um, yeah, it's a really film to talk about. A really film to it's talk about? It's a really film to talk about, guys. It's a really difficult film to talk about with no spoilers because basically most things you like want to say about this film are a spoiler. Yeah. I will say I will say one thing, though, and it's, it is the one thing I, I will say in the non-spoiler part that I can kind of talk about. Because, yeah, what some people would consider a spoiler, others don't, and what some people don't consider a spoiler, others do... I love the way that they managed to market this movie without without giving anything away of the film. Mm -hmm. Because everything that they show in the trailers happens in the film, but it's cut in such a way in the trailer that it doesn't really... like. Because I, I remember when the trailer dropped, they were like, oh, look at all these people that are like obviously getting killed. And I will say that they managed to market this movie very, very well. Oh, yeah, the film, the trailer of this film is exceptionally smartly cut. Yeah, and like the posters and things, like especially the poster with all the cast in it, where, and Ghostface, where the, like the killer is on this poster. Yeah. I thought it was really genius. And given like the fact that the trailer doesn't give away any of the motivations, any of like the big reveal, none of the third act, I think, it, it, none of that's in the trailer. Um, it's really well done. Um, and there are a couple of like little moments in the film where like, if you're an Easter egg fan, much like with Ghostbusters Afterlife, if you are a fan of Easter eggs, there's one that I've heard people mention that I think I'm going to look out for on the second viewing because I didn't notice it the first time. Um, there's some really clever, well-placed Easter eggs in this movie that not only pay homage to sort of Wes Craven and his career, but also to like the history of Scream in general. So if you're a big fan of these movies, um, you will kind of get some of the um, bigger references and some of the bigger Easter eggs. However, I think this is the only... I think this movie references all of the other movies except for two, right? Two. I think two is the only one that doesn't get a mention. Or get a reference to it. Yeah, I think you're right. I don't think there's any references to two. Because the reference to three is the obvious one, mm -hmm. which we can't say just yet. We cannot. We speak not of it. Um, and then obviously four... Is, because we, we speak not of it. We speak not yeah, of it. There's a returning character in four. But also we speak not of it. But yeah. Because yeah. Judy's in this one. Yeah, Judy's in it. I mean, four. not really a spoiler. But which we is speak the connection to the four. Um, but yeah, other than that, I think Scream 2 is the only one that doesn't really get referenced. But in all honesty, I think one the first one is the only one you really need to have seen. Uh, mm -hmm. You could literally watch the first one and this one and like basically understand what's happening. Uh, although that's one thing I will say to you. Considering it's classed as a requel and it's kind of like 
tied very much into the history of the the series itself. Do you think people who've never seen a screen movie could watch this and understand it? Um, without giving anything away in this portion of the part of my brain wants to say yes, but another part of my brain is like not really because you need to have the base understanding of what scream is yeah so i don't think he would be able to watch this without having watched the others because you need to know who the characters are from the original you need to know what happened for this to make sense yeah and probably i'd say as well i'd say you'd probably need to have seen all of them for it to make sense mm-hmm. see i i i feel like the movie does a good enough job of like telling you through exposition what you need to know without having seen the others like you could sit and watch this and you could understand but you it, wouldn't think, get but you wouldn't get as much out of it, it. Yeah, yeah you wouldn't get the fulfillment oh yeah like you could definitely sit and watch it but i don't think you'd enjoy it as much if you hadn't seen the other screen movies yeah like it is a it is a film that pays off a lot more for being a fan than a casual yeah there are definitely a couple of choices that they make with the storytelling where you're if you'd never seen the original, you'd be a bit like, what the fuck? But having seen all of them, there were still a few bits where I was like, what the fuck? Yeah. Like, that's the choice you decided to make. Okay, fair enough. But uh, I don't I don't really want to say too much else in the non-spoiler. Either. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think... we're skimming close to accidentally leaking yeah, something. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I think for me personally, like, I enjoyed it, but I didn't enjoy it as much as I was expecting to. Um, um, I think it's one that I will get more enjoyment out of on repeated viewings, probably. Mm-hmm. The same with 4. I felt exactly the same when I walked out of seeing 4. Um, because I... Yeah, I just was... I wanted to love it, and I ended up liking it. I will say that. So I'm the opposite. I kind of went into this with meagre expectations. I walked out of it, like, having thoroughly enjoyed it. Yeah. It was a lot of fun. It is, as much as it is a screen movie, it is also quite blatantly a radio silence film, which I really love. Uh, it has their feel to it while still holding the feel of Scream. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I just thought it was a really fun film. It was a great way to kill a couple of hours. Like, I didn't feel the length of it mm-hmm. at all. Uh, also, one thing I find really funny, given the fact that this is like now the third part of a Woodsboro trilogy with one, four, and this. Mm. The three that take place in Woodsboro. Do you notice Woodsboro looks fucking different in every single movie that features it? Oh yeah, because over a long period of time. I know, The first one takes place, like, early 90s. This takes place, like, modern day. Mm. Yeah, I just... Places change. I just think it's hilarious. I mean, not where we live. It looks exactly the same as it did years and years and years ago. But as a general rule, places change. Mm. Yeah. Okay. There we go. So that's it for yeah. the non-spoiler. So that's our initial thoughts on Five Cream. From this point forward, the rest of this review will be full, unadulterated, unfiltered... Spoilers. Unedited... Spoilers. I so, feel like we need like a spoilers rave song. Yeah. Just like to like warn you, like spoiler, 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 yeah. spoiler, spoiler. We have a route, we have a plan. Spoil the film if you can. Uh, right, so from this point forward, we will be moving into the spoilers territory. So you have been warned. Spoilers are coming in five, four, three, two, one. So, 
We are now into the portion of the episode where we are going to dive deep into spoilers. spoilers! So, do you want to do the honours before we get okay. into the spoilerific part of this episode? So, Scream 2022. A.K.A. Scream 5, A.K.A. 5 Cream. Yes. Written by James Vanderbilt and Guy Buzek. Buzek? Buzek. Buzek, yeah. yeah. Directed by Matt Bettelini Olpen. Matt Bettinelli. Whatever. Open. And Tyler Gillette, also known as Radio, Radio Silence. Silence. Starring. Do, do, do. Okay. Melissa Barrera as Sam Carpenter. Marley Shelton as Deputy Judy Hicks. Jenny Ortega as Tara Carpenter. Dylan Minette as Wes Hicks. Jack Quaid as Richie Kirsch. Jasmine Savoy Brown as Mindy Meeks Martin. Mindy Meeks Martin. Uh, Sonia Amar as Liv McKenzie, Mikey Madison as Amber Friedman, Mason Gooden as Chad Meeks Martin, Carl Gollner as Vince Schneider, uh, and then we also have Neve Campbell, Neve, Neve, Nev, Neve, Nev, uh, as Sydney Prescott, Courtney Cox as Gail Weathers Riley, and David Arquette as Dewey Riley, and uh, James A. Janice and Chelsea Rebecca as uh, YouTube meat. stars, <laughs> as Dead Meat. Yeah, as YouTube film commentators. Yeah, and the only really other people who are credited in this is a, ra- a couple of random party guests and students, and then uh, Chester Tam as Deputy Vincent and Reggie Conquest, that's an amazing name, as Deputy Farney. Yeah. That's it. It's yeah. that entire cast list. Yeah, it's not a huge cast. It's not. So... Scream 5. Scream 5. Made by the entire fucking Radio Silence production team Mm -hmm. behind Ready or Not. Mm -hmm. So Ready or Not was written by Guy Busick, directed by Radio Silence, uh, produced by Chad Vahela, who is the other member of Radio Silence, Mm -hmm. and James Vanderbilt. I'm assuming this was also produced by him. Yeah, Chad Vahela also produced this one as well. I never look at the the full, full credits, so I never look at, like, who produced stuff. Because him, Matt and Tyler are, like, the three that are known as Radio Silence. Producer K. Who did you say? Chad Vahela. Oh, yeah, Chad Vahela. And executive produced by Kevin Williamson as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, Big Kev, who came back. Um, So... Scream 5. Where do we even begin with this movie? So, I think we should talk about the characters first. Because obviously we have characters in this film who are related to the original lot. Yeah. And characters who are not related to any of them, which I didn't know was a thing. I thought they were all related to the original, so I was very confused to whose parents are who. Um, But yeah, so we have... We've got Judy's son. Yeah, Wes. Yeah, we've got... um, Randy's niece and nephew. Yeah. Chad and Mindy. Chad and Mindy. The twins. And then we have... That's literally it, isn't it? And then it's the obvious one. Uh, Vince Schneider is related to Stu. He's Stu's nephew. Nephew. And then Um, we have... Stu's sister's son, I think they say. Yeah, it's his sister's son. And then obviously we have Sam... This is literally straight up. This is a huge spoiler. Is uh, Billy's daughter? Yeah, and then Liv is a Mackenzie, so she's not directly related to anyone, 
but I, I don't know if she's supposed to be related to the, the Mackenzies or if it's just a little yeah. Easter egg of like I would ass- that line in the first movie. I would assume she's like a relative of the Mackenzie family who yeah. lived down the road from Casey Becker in the original because it seems like a, a very deliberate surname. Yeah, which is why I was like, saying like, it yeah. might just be like an Easter egg little nod for those um, who are in the know. Yeah, but the thing is, like, it says... So the whole conceit of the thing in the trailer is that they say that all the people that got attacked were, like, related to the original killers in some way, Mm -hmm. which at that point in time is why where's uh, Mindy and Chad haven't been attacked uh, and Liv hasn't been attacked Um, because, obviously, they're related to people that were in, like... Yeah, the original Wids- Woodsboro area. But... Tara gets attacked, Sam gets attacked, and yeah. then... Um... Vince gets Vince, ki- yeah, Vince gets stabbed in the neck. Yes. Um, yeah, it's interesting, because the movie sets this idea up that like the killers are targeting people that were related to the original killers, but then it drops it very quickly when the body count dictates that they need to. Like, it's one of the things that I said very early on, like, when they... Because, spoilers, like, are we going to just spoil everything in this movie? Like, when they murder Judy and Wes, like, because there's a whole big thing where Mindy, who is Randy's niece, goes on a whole thing about requels and legacy sequels and blah, blah, blah. And she talks about, like, how, like, Halloween, Ghostbusters Afterlife, Jurassic World, you've got to do enough of it to make it different, but not enough to piss off the fans. You've got to bring back legacy characters... And then she mentions, obviously, like, how everybody's going back to the original stab to kill people that were, like, featured or related to people that were featured in the original stab. And Wes mentions, oh, does that mean me because my mum was in one of the originals? And she's like, no, no one gives a shit about your, like, shit sequel. Um, And that kind of, like, annoyed me that they set up this whole central thing of, like, each one of them is related to one of the original killers. Um, And then they kind of just go, oh, well, actually, we just need to bump these two off because... Like we need a body we count, need a body count. Yeah. and like my my thoughts on that were that like if if I was thinking about this logically, and this is one of the swings like story wise that I feel like they should have taken is it's never revealed who so we're supposed to believe that Sam's about twenty five or twenty six because it's the screen films as we know are set in real time so this is set twenty five years after the original one. So she would have been born, like, what, 96, 95, possibly? Mm -hmm. So she's about 26-ish, roughly 25, um, if Billy Billy Loomis impregnated a girl when they were in high school together. Um, That in itself raises so many questions of, like, what happened to her mum, who is her mum? Because her mum gets referred to as Christina. Uh, So Christina Carpenter, we're assuming, is her mum, because that's who... Ghostface oh, Carpenter called... was their dad's name. Yeah. Well, no, because, yeah, maybe. I was going to say, because Terror and Thingy don't share a dad today, but yeah. No, but they... Yeah. As far as their... Tara's their dad was aware, he was yeah. her dad up until he found out that he wasn't. All we know is that, like, Christina is their mum's name, because that's mm. what Ghostface refers to her as at the beginning when he's on the phone to Terror, or Tara, depending on geographically where you are, how you pronounce that name. Um, but what I, as I said to you, is what I would have done is they set up this dynamic in this film of like Judy and Wes, the son who's old enough to have been mentioned at least in the fourth movie, but wasn't, um, as having like this really like overly protective 
sort of relationship. So what I would have done personally, if I was writing it, is we know from Scream 4 that Judy's a little bit unhinged and that she's a bit jealous of Sydney. So you have her be the woman that Billy impregnated when they were in high school because she was obsessed with Sydney and Billy and wanting to like be Sydney. Mm-hmm. So you have that as the central thing of like they set up that Billy slept with her but then still chose Sydney over her, which is what made her resentful of Sydney in the first place. Then in the fourth movie, she flirts with Dewey and Dewey kind of mugs her off because he's married to Gail. So in the interim, in the 11 years that have passed, Dewey and Gail have got divorced. So you then have the central idea that she tried to get with Dewey after him and fucking uh, Gail divorced, and she knocked him back. So the only person in her life that she has now is her son, who obviously has a crush on terror, but she knows full well that Sam is her and Billy's daughter, and she's the one that's been keeping the secret. So you have the Norma Bates, Norman Bates thing of, I'm not going to lose my son as well as being rejected by Dewey and by Billy. He's the only thing I've got left. And you have her manipulate him into being the killer with her. Yeah. And killing Sam as, like, the last... Like, getting to Sam and getting to all these other people is the last link of, like, basically her snapping and taking out revenge on the people that have made her miserable. What, so Sam's adopted then? Yeah, so Sam would have been adopted by but her But it doesn't parents. make sense why she would want to ki- kill off Sam if Sam was the daughter of her and Billy. Because it's the reminder of the life that she could have had. But she's also proof that she did better than Sydney because she carried Billy's daughter. But she's also still alone. She's got a son that no, there's no father accountable for. No I, know. Re- no, I know that, but I'm so, just saying that like, in the context of what yeah. you're feeding us, her killing off Sam doesn't make that much sense because Sam would be like that moment of like, I outdid Sydney, I had Billy's kid. Yeah. Like, it wouldn't make sense for her to kill Sam if she's yeah. been jealous of Sydney her entire life. But Billy still rejected her and left her with a daughter that oh, she yeah. didn't know how to raise. That would have made far much more sense than, I mean, the reveal that, I mean, the reveal that we get of but who the killer is. we don't are. know if... She was born before Billy died. Yeah, true. We don't know anything about that. Again, this is this is kind of like one of the holes. Like I, like personally, that's where I would have gone with the killer route, and I would have gone with the motivation. Mm. Um, but this is the other thing that the movie paints itself into a hole is, is because they because obviously this isn't the original idea that Wes Craven and Kevin Williamson had for Screams Five, Six, and Seven. Is they by going back to the original they have to create a lot of characters and a lot of scenarios to make that plot work. And you have to introduce, like, Judy's son, who, as I said, wasn't mentioned in Scream 4, even though he definitely would have been alive at the time. Sam was his babysitter, and she also babysat Chad and Mindy, who are never mentioned in Scream 4. And, you know, the fact that Billy Loomis had a daughter that's obviously never been mentioned, but they quite rightly point out in this movie... It's a small town. It was really easy for us to find out. Yeah, and her mum's an alcoholic yeah. as well. So how did nobody know about this for 25 yeah. years? You know what I mean? It's all these like loose ends of them going back to the original where they've kind of tied themselves in knots because it leaves you with more questions than answers. Mm. And like, I'm not saying what they did was wrong. Like, I, I like some of the elements of the story. I just think that they put elements into play and they don't want to pay them off 
or they don't want to give answers to them, but they're there to just kind of drive this story forward, mm. which kind of infuriates me a little bit. Um, I don't really know how you feel about it. I mean, I don't really have... It's not like I have a massive, like, plate in this plate. I don't really have a horse in the race, is what I'm yeah. trying to say. Because I'm not a huge Scream fan. Like, I literally went into this going, I want to see people get killed by Ghostface. Yeah. And I want to have a reveal where I go... <gasps> At the end. Because, like, the first movie, when they reveal it was Billy and Stu the whole time, you go, <coughs> yeah. what? This film, I figured out who the killer was about ten minutes into it. Yeah. It's... The first killer, especially, the is first really killer poorly is telegraphed. so obvious so quickly... Yeah. ...that you're like, well, figured that one out. And then literally, once you know who the killer is, you then realise, oh, well, there has to be a second one because of some of those scenes where, like, there's no way... They could have been there. They could have been there. I mean, I don't know why we're... I don't know why we're fucking bandying yeah. about it. This is a spoiler section. The thing is, with Amber, now that I think about it, because obviously it's telegraphed early on that Amber's the first killer, but they make a point when they're sat in the like high school thing of Chad having bruises... Like after the first attack, and he's all like, "Oh yeah, but I play football," and I'm sure I'm pretty sure she sat there in like a low cut top, and you can't see the bruise. Mm. But then when she's in the hospital scene later, you can clearly see the bruise, and I'm like, I wonder if that was a mistake or if that was a a thing that they put there for eagle-eyed people to be like, "Oh, she's got." Her. Yeah, um, that's why I saw. But the thing is, as well, is my brain because obviously you can't see it earlier when she's wearing the top. Yeah, I was like, the makeup's rubbed off. Yeah. Boys won't think of this, but as a girl, like if we get bruising sometimes, we'll put foundation and powder over it just to like tone it so you can't yeah. really see it anymore. So I was like, huh, she'd covered it earlier. I don't know if that's the case, but as a woman, I'm like, oh, your makeup rubbed off, babes. Yeah, and like she she is telegraphed really early on as the killer. Like they they do so much in the way of like foreshadow like. They basically tell you at the beginning, like, when Terra's texting her, and then she's like, this isn't Amber. And I'm like, you're clearly trying to do this to throw us off the scent. I was like, but with the whole, oh, it's a cloned mobile. I don't know anybody in the history of the fucking world that has ever had their cell phone cloned. Ever. I don't even know if that's an actual thing. Like, I mean, I'm sure it is. I'm sure you can probably clone fucking cell phones. But I don't think it's as fucking easy as this franchise wants you to believe it is. They were doing it in 1996. Like, for fuck's sake. Like, I, I, don't, ju- know. I don't know. I don't know. I was like, also, what kind of fucking mobile plan is Ghostface on? Mm. Motherfuckers out here making all these fucking phone calls. Do you know what really interests me? Is how prevalent in the US is a landline phone. Yeah. Also, is it like an old? No, because my mum doesn't have a landline. I know your parents. Yeah, my do. parents do. My dad does. My mum doesn't. Like, I don't. Is it really prevalent? Like, do, do the older generations still have landlines? But I say that though. I say the older generation. Like, I know the kids are all like eighteen and that. But like, their parents aren't that old. No. No. But like, they're all in their like what forties maybe. Yeah, I don't know. Like, some people have landlines, I guess, because they might have family that they don't want to give their mobile numbers out yeah. to and stuff like that. And especially yeah, if I she's like, really especially if her mum's like an alcoholic, 
she may not want to be like that easily get. Yeah, but like every every home in this bloody film seems to have a landline. Yeah, I don't know. I, like, I'm I not have... being funny. And like this is the other this is the other thing as well. Obviously, we know that Amber is fucking Ghostface. Yeah. So she would be using her own phone. Like the whole the phone is cloned thing is bullshit. Mm-hmm. Like we know that. But my other point is, if your phone, if your mobile number's been cloned, mm-hmm. and you are on a fucking cell phone plan Mm -hmm. like you would have access to seeing your like things like so if if like if i cloned your mobile for example Mm -hmm. and i just started calling random people and people were calling me back would the calls go through to you like would like would would those calls show up on your like I mean, the calls Bill? out wouldn't, but the calls back would go through to my phone. Yeah, assume. yeah. So like, it would be really fucking easy to find out who. I have no idea how yeah, cloning like, works. So it's such a like, it's such a weird conceit, and like, I've always found the idea of like, oh, we've cloned the mobile to be such a fucking stupid idea. But like, we're getting off track. Um, one of the things, like, so yeah, what did what like? Because now that we've obviously like talked about the first killer. What did you think of Amber as the killer? Because I think she fucking Mickey's all over the place. And she Romans for a little bit. Mm. In the sense of she just fucking disappears for like large chunks of this movie. I mean, I wouldn't say she disappears because whenever the group are together, she is there. Yeah. And she's normally with Tara until Sam's back more permanently. She's generally, whenever there's a scene with Tara, she's there. So I wouldn't say she... Because all of the cast of this film disappear for a massive chunk of it. Yeah. Because we don't see... For a massive chunk of this film, we don't see her. Don't see we the don't twins. see the twins. Or live. Or live. Mm. So you can't really say that because it's just like... Most of the film, the, the central premise of it is to be like, it's about the sisters mm. and the legacy characters I think, really. I think the thing is though I think the movie definitely doesn't want you to think it's one person because the other killer always seems to be in different places when the shit goes down mm-hmm. like they and I, I'm purposely not revealing who they are now so we can reveal it later and talk about it later but like they are always either with someone else or far enough away from the kills that it couldn't possibly be them. Or watching Netflix. Yeah, or watching <laughs> Netflix or YouTube. Like, so I feel like they very purposely didn't want you to think that it was them. Mm-hmm. But they do... And, like, the only the only person I genuinely didn't suspect... I mean, I, I, I didn't suspect anybody because some cunt fucking ruined who the killers were for me before I saw the movie anyway. But even watching it objectively, I think the only one of the group that you never think could be actually the killer, is Chad. Chad is the only one that I looked at and didn't go, oh, I don't think he could do it. Like, I don't think it's him. I just, Like, he's the only one that like, ne- Chad, never crossed my mind that it could be him. And to be fair, um, I want to call her Marnie, but that's not her name. Mindy, I thought it could Mindy. be. There's, there's, there's one scene, the no. scene where she's in the fucking basement and she's fucking no. with Amber, and I'm like... Even then, my brain was like, there's no way on this planet it would ever be Mindy. Because, like, the problem is, is that, okay, yeah, okay, we have Chad and Mindy who are uh, Randy's niece and nephew. But Mindy is Randy. Mm-hmm. Like, she fulfills the Randy character. Did you not think film. it was quite cute that she was dressed similarly to him at the like, end of the party? Yeah. 
her character i love her character and because of who she is because she is the randy character my brain at no point in this film was like she could be ghostface because i was like <coughs> she's randy like she's literally she, us or kirby from the fourth one yeah but she's us do you know yeah. what i mean like because that's kirby's point in the fourth yeah. one she is kind of the audience in the film and i do love talking of mindy there's a great scene where she is on the sofa watching Stab 1. And it's the scene where Randy is on the sofa in the exact same house, in the exact same room, doing the look behind you, Jamie, look behind you. And she's on the sofa going, look behind you, Randy, he's behind you, yeah. look behind you. As Ghostface. Ghostface is replicating the scene, basically yeah. shot for shot, including the way he holds the knife. And then she kind of stops and goes, Oh fuck! And looks behind her. Yeah. And I, in literally that moment, because it's one of my favourite scenes in the original Scream yeah. film. That moment really gave me. I was like, that was perfect, and I loved it. And the minute the scene started playing on TV, I started watching the background for Ghost Pace to pop up because I was like, if they don't recreate this and make her look, then they have failed at making this movie. Yeah. Um. I think the reason why I suspected it could be her is because I've recently watched a lot of Yellow Jackets and Jasmine Savoy Brown in Yellow Jackets scares the shit out of me. So I'm like, this this woman could kill someone. Mm -hmm. Like, And plus, I think it would be really progressive as well. Like, because she is a queer black woman in this movie, mm -hmm. or like, she comes from an interracial family, I think that it would have been really pr progressive for them to have someone who isn't a fucking straight white male or a straight white woman. I mean, you say that, like, fucking Nev Campbell stoked the flames the other day and basically insinuated that Stu and Billy were a couple, which I've always believed anyway, or at least believed that Stu was in love with Billy. So she was like, if you want to believe that, so maybe not so straight white males, but, like, there's only been two female killers other than uh, prior to this, uh, prior to Amber... And I just think it would have been so much more interesting if it had been like maybe a couple. I mean, like, but like not a boy girl couple, a like girl, a girl. girl girl. Like her and Amber were the killers, or you know, like. But the thing is, is as well is I feel like if they'd have done that, if this movie ended and it turned out that fucking Mindy was the killer, I would have fucking. It would have been jaw drop gobsmacked. Like what? I did not see that coming. Yeah. Because she, her, you're right. Her and Chad, are like the only. I know you. I only said Chad. Like for me, it's both of them. Are the only two I never, ever, ever suspected. Yeah. I was like, there's no. I mean, to be fair, I figured out who both of the killers were pretty quickly. Yeah. But which is rare for me. I don't normally figure out who the killer is. I'm think... always really surprised when it happens. I'm like, what? I think the thing with Chad is he's just, he's just too, like the thing with the thing, like the thing I love about um, Chad and Mindy is that they split Randy's personality or the Meek's personality over two people mm -hmm. because she gets all of his like nerdy, like movie references and like his geeky stuff. Mm. Whereas he kind of gets the other side of it where he's a bit like, Oh, I don't really want to. Well, I don't really want to have sex with you because I think that you you could be crazy. And he's like, he's got the more like mild mannered kind of like, 
I'm out. Like, I don't really, I don't really need to be here. Like, that kind of, like, more survival instincts that kind of Randy had. Mm. Um, I, I love the fact that they split their person, his personality well, up into the two. Well, you say survival instincts. Well, yeah. Chad makes potentially one of the dumbest choices, series of choices, to exist in this film. And I literally, I turned to you as we were watching it, and I was like, that's it. I was like, I'm not even angry. He's going to die because he's a fucking dumbass. Like, I'm not being funny. Like, you have grown up in Woodsboro. Your uncle is Randy Meeks, which means your mum probably raised you telling you stories about your uncle Randy. Yeah. Like... Because they would have been born... So, Randy died... 97. Yeah, so they wouldn't have been born after he died. And she definitely wasn't pregnant in Scream 3, which was set in 2000. So that was 21 years ago. And they're about 18. So yeah, they would have been like a couple of years after he passed away. So they would have been raised with stories of him. Right, and he makes... So he... A goes looking for his girlfriend who he's refused to sleep with because he thinks she could potentially maybe be the killer. Yeah. He gets a text from her with a location drop saying, come find me. Yeah. The location drop then says, share your location with them. Mm-hmm. And then he goes into, I'm not even kidding, a wooded area out of the view of everybody at the fucking mm-hmm. party. She's not there and he doesn't immediately go, mm, nope, I'm out. I mean, why did you go looking for her in the first place? Because literally one of the first things fucking Mindy says to him is, don't do it. She's probably already dead. Yeah. And I'd have been like, you are right. Or I'd have taken somebody with me. He was he was the one who Dumbass. got He was the one who got attacked out of all the survivors that I thought was gonna die. Because mm-hmm. his his attack, like I mean I know Mindy gets attacked, but his attack was way more brutal than Mindy's. Um and I thought he was gonna be the one that was gonna die. I thought one of them was gonna die. Mm-hmm. Um and I was quite surprised that they both survived. Um I I like see I like the friend group in this movie. Like, they all feel like people who would be friends of each other. So it's really interesting because, obviously, the friend group of them have all been friends for a really long time. Yeah. Amber, however, is reasonably new to the group. Yeah. It's never addressed, but she's one of the only kids that was not babysat by Sam. Yeah. And when Sam shows up, Amber has to introduce herself. So she doesn't become a part of Tara's life until after Sam has left. Yeah, within the last five years. So literally within the last five years. So she's the newest member of the friendship group. Which immediately, very suspicious. Mm-hmm. Very, yeah, and very like, suspicious. They kind of tease or hint that maybe they were in a relationship. Like, that's the way I read it, that, that they were possibly in a relationship. I think there was maybe an early version of the script where... They were like a couple. a couple, and then I think they changed it so that Mindy was the LGBTQ. I don't know the rest of the letters. LGBTQ plus. Yeah, the representation in this film. But I think there's some kind of like there's some tension and some holdover because there's a like a thing that um, there's a thing that I think it's Chad or Wes says to her when he says, oh, no man is good enough for her, and now her family are off limits as well. Yeah, it's weird, because then um, she turns around and goes, oh, just because she won't date you. Yeah, kind of implies that Amber has a thing for terror, but, like... like... Yeah, it's it's never really cleared up. But also, I think that the thing is, is... 
female friendships are very different to male mm-hmm. friendships anyway. Like, so it's a difficult, I feel like it's always quite difficult to read when they don't outright state it. Yeah. Unless they make out on screen or somebody mm-hmm. specifically says they're a couple. With female friendships, it can be quite difficult to read. Because, I mean, you've seen what me and my best friend are like. Well, we'll hold hands. Like, we kiss to say hello. Yeah. I think it doesn't help, though, that I'd just watched Fear Street last night. And that relationship feels very similar to Sam and Dina's from Fear Street. So there's that kind of underlying tension of have they, haven't they? Like, you're never really sure. Um, But it it always kind of, it came across that way that there was something there, even if the film didn't want to, like, outwardly say it. See, Um, I didn't read into it, but again, I'm a girl and I have a lot of quite close female friendships. So yeah, for me, I was like, they're just bros. Although, they're bros, maybe. I don't know. But I think think it really matters one way or another which way you read it. Um, Yeah. Because I just read it as like quite a protective friendship. Like she's very protective of Tara because Tara was very much broken by Sam leaving. And Amber's kind of come along and picked up the pieces and put, like, put her back together. Yeah, and it's kind of implied very early on as well that like Wes has been quite persistent in trying to date Tara or Tara because obviously in those texts that Amber, Amber air quotes is sending her at the beginning, she's like, oh, is Wes still bugging you? Like yeah. when she's talking about getting the phone calls and stuff. Yeah. Um, he's a real non-entity in this movie. Yeah, Wes is kind of... He's just there to be killed off. Yeah, considering like they cast Dylan Minnette in the movie um and he obviously does play the son of a i guess a legacy character like one of only three character one of only four characters in this movie that's returning from another film um you would have kind of suspected that he would have had a lot more to do or he would have been in the movie longer like it's never really kind of like i mean in the grand scheme of things and the grand plan it's never really kind of explained why he why him and judy get killed that just kind of collateral damage. I think... So I think... Um, Wes is specifically targeted because he keeps bugging Tara. Yeah. Tara, Terra, Tora, whatever they call her. Um, like, I think that's part of it. Like, he's specifically targeted because he keeps bugging her. Um... And also to, because like, obviously, in their view of the plan, mm-hmm. of who they're planning on framing for all the killings, those characters make sense. Yeah. Because the plan overall is to frame Sam. Sam has a really combative relationship with Deputy Judy. Deputy Judy. Well, Sheriff Judy Sheriff in Judy. this film. But she calls her Je- Deputy Judy. Yeah, and also I think um, Amber overhears, oh no. Yeah, Amber overhears them arguing, I think, at one point when they're in the hospital because Amber's still in the hospital room with Tara, isn't she? Mm-hmm. Um, and then, obviously, um, Wes has been bugging her sister and trying to date her sister. So, like, in the context of the cover-up of, like, oh, it was Sam all along, those two deaths make perfect sense. Yeah. And also with the violence with which Judy is killed. I am genuinely shocked, though, because I I do feel like Amber is the one that is responsible for Judy and Wes's death. I am genuinely shocked that Amber is able to take out two police officers in this movie. 
I mean, all I'm saying is from five movies at this point, three of which are all set in Woodsboro, the Woodsboro Police Force are a little bit shit, so yeah. I'm not that shocked. As you said, like, because Judy calls the cops as she's on her way back to the house, like, all officers converge on my house. No cops show up until after they're all dead. And it takes a good 20 minutes. Yeah, and it's broad daylight. It's broad daylight. So she murders Judy on the front lawn, basically. Yeah. And is, like, sat atop of her, just stabbing her repeatedly. And then she goes into the house. And it is, like, a good 10-minute sequence of, like, he's in the shower, he gets out of the shower, he dries off, puts some clothes on, checks his phone, gets some plates out, gets some glasses out goes as a wonder comes back they do a lot of like he's opened a cupboard is ghost face oh, behind mate, it he's opened a fridge is ghost face behind fucking jump scare fucking jump scare so like it's a good well no it'll be slightly longer though because he fully dries off I'm thinking, pretty sure his hair's dry as well yeah, but that he's that taking sequ- a blow dry yeah but that sequence is like really quick he literally walks into his bedroom in the tower and then walks no, down the I know, I know, I know what I'm saying but what I'm saying is in context of how yeah. long it would have actually taken yeah. for him to like, blow dry his hair get dressed and all of that shit like it's a good the scene's not that long but it'd have been a good like 20 minutes to half an hour no cops have shown up no no like what are you doing was there was there a pile up on like the the other road that exists in woodsboro so i'm assuming it's literally like a six road town like it's not big yeah yeah it's it's not a huge and like the veracity with which she kills her in the street and the like noise that Judy's making when she kills her, some fucker would have heard. See, my assumption, as I said to you, is that it's very much like fucking Derry. Yeah, people just don't care. Nobody nobody speaks of it. They close the blinds and turn away when they see bad things happening. They're just like, as long as we're not involved, we just keep our nose out of it, none of us die, we'll leave it to the idiots who want to get involved in this shit. Yeah. Like... Yeah, it's very, like, it's very odd. And, like, the fact that, like, Ghostface would then have to have dispersed of the body or, like, because, like, Judy's body would have just been lying outside otherwise. Well, I think it is, because when it cuts later and um, Sam shows up at the house, is there all the police there? Her body's still on the front. Yeah, I missed that bit because I went to the toilet. So. Yeah, her body is literally still on the front Yeah. set. Like, they've not moved. She doesn't move her. She just leaves her there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, obviously, like... Prior to this, we have the the one scene of because I called this when we did our Scream Free review with the horror horror bandwagon. I knew that we wouldn't get the three original characters together. Um, so let's let's talk a little bit about the legacy characters and how mm-hmm. they're used in this movie. So obviously Dewey is living in a trailer. Mm-hmm. He's become an alcoholic, or has is a recovering alcoholic. He um, has some kind of issue with booze. Yeah, he's not the sheriff anymore. No. He, he was asked to retire. He moved to New York with Gail, mm-hmm. and then he couldn't hack it in New York, so he moved back to Woodsboro. Mm-hmm. He was the one that left her. Um, and Which he... I'm really surprised that did not see it being yeah. that way round. I think for him, though, like I can kind of understand it to a degree, because there's a thing, like especially in a certain generation, of like if a man has lost his job and is living in the shadow of his like successful wife like it can be and like they can't find a place for themselves yeah it can weigh on them and weigh on their self-esteem so i kind of get it he always i imagine he only ever felt like he was of use when he was in woodsboro because he was the Mm. sheriff and that's where he grew up and that's where his family was um Mm. we see tatum's ashes on his side yeah which is quite a nice cute nod to the fact that he's got a 
you know, he's still got the ashes of his sister. And every morning he gets up and he watches Gail on the TV and he drinks yeah. his coffee. Um, and then obviously he phones... So he, he gets visited by Richie and Sam and they explain to him what's going on. And he kind of explains to them the rules of what's happening. Um, and then you get the one interaction between him and Sydney. Uh, Sydney's out running with one of her kids. Um, we find out that Sydney's got two two daughters... And she's married to Mark. Well, I think she has three kids in total because she's got the baby. She's got like a baby in the pram, mm-hmm. or a, a small one. But she says, oh, "I'm just about to go home. I need to get the twins ready for school." No, she said, I "Need to before I get the girls ready." Before for school. I get the girls ready for school, whatever is in that pram is not old enough to be going to school. Yeah, I don't know. So maybe she's got three. She might have. She might have like. She could have. She, she says girls. She could actually have like five girls. We'll yeah. never know. I kind of assumed that she had She two. has daughters of some yeah. description. Um, and then she's married to Mark Kincaid. Which we never see. God um, damn it, again, another character who was in Scream 3. The movie's sole reference to Scream 3. So, no, it's not. It's not. Because literally, so when when, when um, we first see Dewey and he's watching Gail on TV, one of the lines you hear in passing is... Um, up next, we'll talk about bangs and why they're always a terrible idea. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> I, I, I died. I was chuckling so hard because of the Scream 3 episode we did yeah. with Horror Bandwagon. I was howling because all I could, I was like, the fucking bangs, man. But they, um, and yeah. that was a really good because I, I understood the reference. I was the fucking Captain America meme. Like, moment. it's never outwardly said that it's actually Mark Kincaid. No, he just called but Mark. But we assume that it is Mark Kincaid. Yeah. Um, which again would explain, like as I said to you, this is like twenty-one years on from Scream Three. Mm. Was she married to him in Scream Four, and it just never came up I in conversation? So. I think, I think or did he, he just he... fucking circle back to her like I after well, years the thing later? Is, is I don't know because the problem is this because this is the thing we've talked about a lot. Is it's like oh well, he's never mentioned in Scream Four. At no point in Scream Four do any of the characters really have a chance to kind of sit and talk about their lives because yeah. they're like. Okay, we're in Woodsboro. Oh shit, Ghostface back. Like, fuck, yeah. we need to sort this shit out. Like, there's never really a moment where you see them sit down and discuss where their lives are at, what they've been doing with themselves. Like, we only know Gail and Dewey are, like, married because that's how we're introduced yeah. to their characters. And in fairness, in both these movies, she's not living in Woodsboro. No. Because she's not living in Woodsboro in four. No, she's touring a she's, she's wherever she's living. Well, I think since the first one, she's not been living in Woodsboro. Because in the second one, she's not. Third one, she's not. Fourth one, she's not. And this one, she's not. No, because in the so second she literally one. left. She was like, I am out. I think the second one is set in Ohio. Yeah. Um, and then the third one is obviously... LA. She's living in the mountains somewhere. She's living somewhere. in the mountains somewhere. And I assume, I assume if, if the timeline is right and her and Kincaid stayed together, that's probably where her and Kincaid settled, yeah. is in that house in the woods with Cherokee. That's who. I'll, that's the legacy character I want to know. I want to know what the fuck is up with Cherokee. The dog that she had in three. I mean, how long ago did three come out? Twenty-one years ago. Cherokee's probably dead. <laughs> I was going to say, babe. But more than likely, Cherokee has passed. I'm just saying. It's a long time for a dog. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is what I was saying in the beginning part of the episode. I love finding out where these characters are at. And to be honest, like all three of the characters in this movie, it makes sense for everything that they've gone through that this is where their characters would be. Yeah. Um. And, like, obviously, Sydney, when she speaks to Dewey, she's like, I don't want it. She's like, I have no intentions of ever setting foot in Woodsboro. She's like, be careful, like, tell, call Gail, like, I have a gun, like, etc. 
Um, and then he obviously, I love, I love what he does because he says to her, he's like, I'm going to phone Gail. And then he just texts her, he's like, ghost face back, stay safe. Uh, uh, yeah, he says, he says, ghost face back, don't, don't come, come here. here. And then he says, I hope you're well, smiley face. And then, and then he, he goes, says, I shouldn't have put a smiley, smiley face. face. Well, he doesn't text that, but he no, doesn't no, like, no. I shouldn't have said that. And then he goes to, Bra- like, I, think he goes, I still love, love you, you. Yeah. but he deletes it. And I was like, good call. Yeah, I was good. like. Cool. In my head, I was going, "Don't do it, don't, don't do it." it. Bad, like, bad choice, yeah. bad choice. Um, but yes, yeah, so that's kind of how they all get reintroduced, and then Gail shows up at uh, Judy's crime scene. Yeah, because and she... proceeds to punch Dewey in the arm and go so, a fucking text, basically. Because I missed the beginning of that. Is she at the crime scene because she's reporting on it? No, I think she's just so she must have been driving into Woodsboro, saw the commotion, and gone. That's probably the best place to be. Well, not, yeah, because then, then the camera crew show up yeah. with her. Um, she's like, ah, found it. But the camera crew kind of disappear very quickly as yeah, well. Yeah, they, they, like, they all get into taxis like Joel. They're all like, now nah, we out. Bye. <laughs> um, but yeah, so they kind of, those two get a moment together, which is really nice. So her and Sydney get moments with Dewey separately, but we never yes. actually see the three of them together. No, we do um, not. So the scene after this is probably one of the biggest and best scenes in the movie. So this is the scene where Terra's in the hospital mm-hmm. and she's like in the wheelchair and yeah. Ghostface turns up and then Dewey and Sam... Oh, Richie shows up. Richie's at the hospital because she hits him with the phone and then he gets the Derek cut. He gets the Derek and Jill cut, doesn't he? Because he puts his arm up and he gets the cut in the same place that Jill gets it in for. And then she, the Derek gets in the second one, which I thought was kind of interesting. Um, See, so this was the moment for me that really gave it away. Well, the Richie was the second killer. Yeah, yeah. Because spoilers. Spoilers. Well, we're in the spoiler (laughs) section. If you're at this point, guys, because they've she's killed kind of the cops who are unrelated to the case so there's no reason for amber not to kill richie unless richie is the killer obviously we know it's not sam yeah because sam is not in woodsboro at the beginning and also she has been nearly killed numerous times at this point so that was the point i was like oh there we go second killer figured it out got it sorted boom because there is no other reason for her to not kill him then and also now we've revealed it's Richie, there's a great scene earlier in the film. So after she gets attacked, after Sam gets attacked in the break room, there is a scene where Richie says to Amber, well, where where were you? And she's like, well, I was with Tara. And then she goes, and where were you then? And he's like, I was watching Netflix. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, they literally, the first time we really see them, see them interact, they accuse each other of being Ghostface. Yeah. Which I love. Yeah. But that, this is obviously the big scene where Dewey rescues uh, Tara, Sam and Richie, puts them in an elevator and then he has that big moment from the he's trailer like, where he yeah. empties all the bullets out of the gun because he's already had a fight with Ghostface. Ghostface has put him down. And he's he, got back up. It's my favourite because he like literally, they're about to go and he stops the elevator. He's like, you always shoot them in the head. Yeah. They always come back. And, and Sam's, Sam's like, like oh, we don't fuck? care. Like, yeah. We just need to get out of here. And Dewey's like, mm, i got to, I got to deal with this. Yeah. You guys go. Yeah. 
Um, Because I... Like, they make a big point in this movie. Like, they never address it, but there's, like, a thing that they've got in the mask so they can talk in the mask to people. Like, it's a big innovation. I was like, fucking Mickey did this in the second movie. Like, Mickey's literally... But I think it's just so, like, it's addressed. Of, yeah. Like, oh, there's something in their mask. That's how they're doing the voice thing. Mickey has because... the voice changer in the mask. He's got it in the mouth of the mask yeah. in the second one. Like, I think that's why they show you them specifically clicking the buttons yeah. to explain... That's how they're doing the ghost yeah. face voice. Because you know if they didn't do that, somebody would go, wow, how were they doing the ghost face voice? It yeah. doesn't make any sense. Because um, Mickey has it in the mouth of the mask in the second one when he reveals him. So he pulls the mask off and takes the thing out. Mm. Um, but yeah, I, lo- I, like, I really love this scene where he's like, where Ghostface is stalking Terror and she's crawling across the floor. And Sam's like, I was stalling for time. And she, they pop out the fucking elevator and shoot Ghostface. And fucking Dewey steps... Dewey comes dangerously close to fucking having to pay fucking Miss Vanjie royalties. Because he's like, not today, as he's fighting Ghostface. And he's like... And then and then when like That's Ghostface, not Miss Vanjie. Whoever the fuck it is yeah. who says it on Drag Race. Not today, Satan. Bianca Del Rio. It's when, it's when he goes back and Ghostface pops up and says like, yesterday. And she says, you get that line I from the I was really confused because when she says it, it sounds like yesterday. And I was like, yeah. well, you didn't kill him yesterday, did you? And I was like, yeah. oh, no, yes, today. Yeah. And then we get the brutal moment where she puts one knife in the front of Dewey, one knife in the back of Dewey, and basically just pulls them both up. Uh, and he dies on the floor in a puddle of blood and it's really fucking his death is really horrific also on a note of this death where the fuck was sydney that she's managed to get to the hospital in woodsboro Mm -hmm. reasonably quickly after finding out that dewey was dead i think she lied i think she was already on her way way. Yeah. yeah i think much like gail she was already on her way and she just kind of said... She I, was like, I, I, came have, as as I, I have to go because yeah. it's going to end up coming for me. Because you can kind of tell when she puts the phone down on him. She's got that look on her face like, shit. Like, when she's telling him to stay safe, she's like, shit, I need to end this. Um, but yeah, Dewey's death is really fucking... Like, I felt like I feel I felt like they were going to kill one of the legacy characters. And this was the, one of the things I said in our... Scream 3 review was like, I had a feeling it was going to be Dewey. Like, he was always going to be Dewey. Dewey's yeah. the one who's been stabbed. Like, he references it in this movie. He's like, I've been stabbed nine times. I've got a limp. Yeah, he's got a gimpy leg that he kind of references. And I feel like he kind of had to be the one that was going to, like, bite it. Mm. Um, and then, obviously, that's what draws Sydney back <laughs> to Woodsboro. And then we kick into the third act of the movie. Mm-hmm. Um I think the final act of this movie is what's going to be the deal breaker for some people. Mm-hmm. Um, because I guess we should probably talk about the Billy Loomis of it all before we get to the third act. Yes. So Sam finds out that Billy Loomis is her dad. Pre-movie. So this happens when she's like... 13 four, 13, 14. Like yeah. She finds out Billy Loomis is her biological father. Drama ensues. She basically goes on a drug binge bender. Start seeing her creepy dead dad. <coughs> like, and what's really funny is though, because you made a comment about how she would see. Because we. So Billy basically looks 
exactly like he does at the end of the first film. Yeah. White shirt, blood spattered, slick back hair. The de-aging on him was pretty good. The de-aging was really good. But I'm pretty sure, because after you said it, I was like, that is weird. But then my brain was thinking, I'm pretty sure that is the image that is on the TV when she is telling the group, is it not? No, oh, he's wearing a leather jacket and a shirt. Oh, I thought in my head, I was like, no. is it not like the white... But it doesn't matter anyway. But yeah, so she's seeing... The ghost, like she's had a psychotic break at some point, basically, yeah. and she's like so she's on medication, um, because she sees visions of her dead dad, basically. Yeah, and um, it's really interesting because it is quite obviously it's Billy, but it's obviously like a a, a version of him that she has created in her own head. Because although he's still like, kill them, kill them all, he's kind of a little bit paternal, which I would never expect from the character you see in the first film. Yeah, his inclusion is the f- in the film is the one thing that really doesn't work for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I could really have done without ghost dad life coach. See, the thing is, is I kind of like it because it does give us that link of Billy is there. Yeah. But also, I think a lot of people are going to complain that he is very um, OOC. He's massively out of character. Yeah, 100%. But the thing is, is like, like she would have never known Billy Loomis. She'll just know that he was like the killer. Like, he murdered all of these people. Yeah. And she... Her, so her stepdad, when he found out that he was not actually her biological dad, walked out on the family mm-hmm. so i think she'll have kind of created billy as like this a dad who would have loved her yeah and like would have been there for her but then like this this whole thing falls apart when you look at it from two sides mm-hmm. so she never knew him he no. was out of the picture he was fucking dead before she even knew he existed yes. right <laughs> she's seeing a version of him that was the murderer like yeah. she's not seeing any yeah, other that, version of that's, him that's that's the bit that's confusing for me but i think that was just that was a, dis- a decision because that's how everyone thinks of billy loomis they and, were like we need to make him look like everyone thinks of him and also like so this is the first first side of looking at it is also why is he kind of like a semi good guy like in her head she knows that he is a bad guy. She knows that she doesn't want to end up like him. But, but she's having these conversations with him where he's almost like telling her what to do and like guiding her. And then the other side of the coin, the other way of looking at it is if she was able to see him and mm-hmm. she was having these conversations with him mm-hmm. where the imagined version of him was nurturing and was guiding her and was telling her what to do in order to help save her mm-hmm. surely she would be way more pissed at sydney and there would be way more tension between her and sydney for fucking killing her dad okay. and denying right. her the chance to ever meet her father right okay so hold off on and i can see where you're going right so she knows that billy loomis she has in her head is not real she is because she takes her medication she yeah. knows he doesn't actually exist and he is a vision she is seeing that is because of her mental un- unwell, mental unwellness, mental health, she's basically, she knows he's not real. So the version that she has in her head, she knows is not the Billy, real Billy Loomis. She knows is probably not what he was like. But that's what her brain is supplied as like, this is your dad. You're going to turn out just like him. You're going to become a killer. Because like, that's the thing. Billy helps her in a couple of scenes. But most of the time he is like, you're just like me. 
you're yeah. just like me. Because only in three like, scenes you in the need film, to isn't kill it? them because you're just like you have my genetics. Yeah. So I think that's why she's never angry at Sydney because she knows that's not the real Billy. And also, even though she's made him slightly more palatable for her in her head, he is still trying to encourage her to kill people. Mm-hmm. So she knows like he is not a good dude. So that's why I think there's no problems between her and Sydney. Okay, yeah, he is slightly more paternal at points, but even when he's being paternal in her brain, he's still encouraging her to kill people. Like, I don't think he's ever a good guy at any point. It's just she's a little girl who wanted a dad, and this is who she knows is her dad. So she's basically built a version of him that is still the psycho killer who would kill people, but who would also probably have tried to protect her. I 100% think that her mum is bitchy cheerleader from the first movie. Maybe. I don't know. Oh, but nothing. I'll fly and clue. But I, I didn't hate the inclusion of Billy, because I Billy Lewis is one of my favourite characters. I think I think the I think if if they'd kept him just in that one scene in the hospital where she sees him for the first time, that I would have been fine. See, it's the last time you see him in the movie when I'm like, nah, this is some fucking shark jumping bullshit. Why? Because I'm like, he literally is a vision who looks at something on the floor. Yeah. He literally looks down at the knife as much as there's a knife there. He's, yeah. he's basically a fucking force ghost. No, okay, right, so... That's, that decision to she, have that scene in the movie, so, she, so dumb. Right. I feel like this is kind of the, the problem that you're having that I'm not having. So she knows the knife is there. She sees it drop. She's yeah. fully aware of where yeah. that knife is. But only subconsciously. Her consciousness doesn't remember that that's where the knife is. She's got too much going on. So her subconscious brain, which is Billy, is saying the knife is there. Like, you know that. Your conscious brain just isn't processing it. I just thought the whole serial killer ghost dad saves the day thing was nonsense. The reason I feel like that scene is there from a psychological point of view of like the knife is there is because that is when she snaps and behaves like Billy would have because she doesn't just cut his leg and like take him out she straddles him and stabs him like 10 times slits his throat and then proceeds to put like four bullets in him Uh like she fully goes feral like Billy Loomis is my dad. She, I am a killer. She also does sick ghost face callback when she like wipes the blood oh, yeah, off the knife. Oh, she wipes the blood off the knife, cool. which is amazing. Yeah, so I, I honestly do think that like the inclusion of Billy Loomis in this movie will be a dividing point for people. Mm. I think people will either love it or I think people will hate it. Um, I am kind of on the fence about it. I think the one scene in the hospital when she sees him for the first time in the mirror would have been more than enough. I think to make him instrumental in kind of the climax of the movie is a bit ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, I mean, to be fair, like there's so much fucking ridiculous shit that happens in the last third of this movie that it was kind of a bit like, I kind of almost expected fucking Stu to pop up and be like, hey bitches, I'm home. Because the movie does go like, the movie, I think the movie has some pacing issues. Um, I think a lot happens in the first 20 minutes. And you see a lot of Ghostface. And then the movie kind of slows down a little bit and then ratchets up towards the end. Mm-hmm. Um, what did you think of the last sort of 40 minutes of this movie? From the, like, 
get when they get to Stu's house to the end? Uh, it was the ending of a Scream movie, babe. It plays out like every Scream movie. <laughs> there is a party. People make dumb choices. People get sabbed. And then we get the killer reveal and they have a big monologue about how they did it and why they did it and what the plan is to get away with it. I'm really gutted we never see Richie in the ghost face costume. Yeah, me too. I feel like it would have been cool seeing him reveal himself. Richie. Like, this is the problem with the, the screen movies. Like, there's too many of these killers that never, like, are in the costume. The only ones that are ever in the costume are Roman. Jill. Jill. Um, Mickey. Yeah. Amber. And then Amber, because you see Amber in the costume, because mm-hmm. she pulls it off in front of... Is it in front of Sam, Sam and Sydney? And Sydney. Oh, yeah, and Sydney, but she doesn't count because she's not a killer. I mean, she is from a certain she, I mean, she is, but, but she's not a ghost face killer. Oh, well, also from a certain perspective, yeah. she is. She she is the killer of ghost face. She does not murder people as ghost face. This is the only screen movie where she hasn't killed a ghost face. Oh. Because Amber gets killed by Tara and Richie gets killed by Sam. Yeah. But yeah, I thought the ending of the movie was fucking bonkers. Mm. Like, there's a lot, a lot happens in this last sort of 40 minutes of the movie. Like, this is when Chad gets attacked, Mindy gets attacked, Liv gets killed. Um, I think the whole fucking thing of getting them to the house was a bit ridiculous. Oh, we've hidden Tara's inhaler, so she needs to stop off at Amber's house to get her spare inhaler. Was a bit like, come on, man. I mean... As an asthma sufferer, because actually I will give this to Jenny Ortega, she plays this really well. You can hear her panicking because she can't find her inhaler and you can hear her breath starting to hitch, Mm -hmm. which is normally a precursor of like you're about to have an asthma attack. Yeah. So they would need, depending on how severe her asthma is, I'm assuming quite, they would need to get her an inhaler as soon as possible. Yeah. Um, so it makes sense because if so if if ever I'm like I need to make sure I have my inhaler and I can't find it, I will start panicking and my breath will start to like go. So it makes you then need your inhaler and you can't find it, which makes it worse. Like it's like a vicious circle. So I fully get why like she was like, oh no, I need to find my inhaler. Like I need an inhaler. We can't. I'm not gonna make it. I need a prescription, yeah. and you need a prescription to get one as well. Mm-hmm. So if you don't have one. You can't just go to a chemist and buy an inhaler. Like you have to have a prescription. Has to get filled by the doctors. Like it's a it's a process. Yeah. Um. So I can kind of get why that would be the way they get to the house is like her needing her inhaler because we know from the beginning of the movie that she keeps a spell on at Amber's house. Yeah. Like one of the first things we find out. Yeah. But I I thought it was like. As as far as plot contrivances go, and the fact that fucking like Sydney tracked their phones, so she knew that they were going to Stu Marker's house, was like Sydney didn't track my phones. She, she put a tracker on the car. I thought she put the tracker on the phone. No, she she says I put a tracker on a car. The car it feels like something Gail Withers would have done. No, she did it on the phone because then she phones Sam, and Sam's like, "How did you know where we were?" And you know, she said she says I put a tracker on the car. Oh, I thought she said she did it on the phone. No, she put a tracker on the. Car. Oh, it doesn't matter either way. She was like tracking them. But yeah, like I think the ending of this movie is like what lives and dies on this movie for most people. Because I kind of was like in and out of like whether I liked it or not until the ending hit, and then I was like the ending more than makes up for 
like some of the shortcomings of the first part of the movie. Um, I thought the killer reveal was great. Um, I really like Richie as Ghostface. Um, and I really like how he goes from being like the dutiful kind of like boyfriend, really kind guy to like fucking maniacal stew mocker kind of levels of crazy towards the end mm-hmm. um i wasn't as keen on amber as the killer because amber's performance is very very over the top but i will say that there is one facet of amber's character that i really enjoyed in relation to why they were doing what they were doing yeah. so obviously the mo- like i love the commentary in this film that it's all about toxic fandom and like internet trolls and like the whole thing that Richie says of like, you know, the stab movies suck. Nobody's made a good one since the original. Like, how can toxic be fandom? It's uh, how can fandom be toxic? It's all about love. Like, they don't respect us. They don't respect the true fans or the real fans. Like, and it pisses us off. Like, that is so like where our society is today. Mm-hmm. And like, I love that as a motivation that they basically just made them like internet trolls which I think is fucking hilarious. Um, And I really do think that's going to be an interesting talking point when more and more people see this movie Mm -hmm. um, because of the society that we live in. But the one thing that I loved about Amber's character was Amber was so Larry and she was so cocky all the time she had the upper hand. The minute that Sydney and Gail turned on her, she was like, I didn't mean it. I didn't mean it. I was radicalised by internet fandom. I'm just a kid. Oh, you can't do this to me. Which is so indicative of people on the internet or people in real life. Mm -hmm. The minute their shitty opinion gets turned back on them or the minute somebody calls them out, they start playing the victim. And I think the way she did that in the nature of her character, what the overall plot was... And the way that the movie is talking about that kind of level of like toxic fandom was fucking chef's kiss. Yes. And the way she plays it is fucking brilliant. And like Gail, God love her, God bless her, doesn't get a lot to do in this movie. But the scene with Amber where Amber tells her that she killed Dewey and Dewey went out like a fucking pussy and Gail attacks her is fucking brilliant. And then when Gail sets her on fire, is so... Accidentally. Yeah, but, like, that, that's still so good. Like, when she gives the gun to Sydney, and Sydney's like, no, nah, this one's all yours. And Gail actually gets to put down a ghost face uh, for a little bit. She thinks that she's killed her and sets her on fire. And they kind of just look at her, like... Because Sydney says the great line, because Amber mentions about passing the torch, and when she's on fire, <laughs> Sydney says, Sydney like goes, enjoy your torch. Yeah. Um, I think that's fucking brilliant. Like, I really, really like the reveal, and I really like the motivations. I could have done without uh, Mikey Madsen's p- performance being so cartoonish, because um, she does go a little bit over the top. Yeah, she does. Whereas I feel like Richie stays a little bit more restrained. And, like, the fight that he has with Sam is really interesting and, like, how he kind of, like, the way that it's all positioned in the kitchen of, like, it's very reminiscent of the first movie. Like, one of them's tied up in a cupboard. Like, the way that they're all positioned in the kitchen is very reminiscent of the first movie. Mm -hmm. And, like, the way that he, like, says, oh, you're just repeating stuff from the first one now. 
Um, but he, 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 he say, oh, um, don't quote the original. Yeah. I think that that whole sequence is really, really well done. Um, and, like, I thought Richie was the better of the two ghost faces. Um, and, like, the other thing as well is, like, were him and, like, oh, we're led to believe that him and, like, Amber are, like, in a relationship. Mm-hmm. Because she keeps calling him babe or baby a lot. And he never seems to, like, respond. Yeah, he calls her baby numerous times. Does he? Because, yeah. like, she calls it to him, but I, I don't recall him saying it back to her. No, he calls her baby quite a few times. Oh, I don't ever recall him ever, like, saying it back to her. Um, but, yeah, it's really, like, well done. Like, I've heard, I've heard a few people complain that the ghost face reveal was a letdown. And I was like, I think the movie sets itself up, though... Because, like, the advertising for the movie is, like, the movie promises mind-blowing twists. I didn't think anything in this particular film was very mind-blowing. Like, there was no jaw on the floor. Like, I'm super shocked by the revelations. I'm super shocked by, like, who the killer is or any of that sort of stuff. That's not to say that it wasn't well done. I just think that they played their hand a little bit early in giving away who the killers were. Uh But, like, I don't know how you feel. Like, how you felt about the killer reveal and what the motivations were. The motivations, I mean, they make perfect sense. I'm not going to lie. I could 100% see some, like, toxic fans doing that easily. Um, The reveal, like, uh, I'd figured it out already, so I wasn't that. I was like... uh. And I saw it coming that, like, he was going to stab Sam as well. Like... It really does. But I was very surprised saying that when Sam's like, oh no, I undid Tara. When he's like, I even managed to convince you that your sister could be the killer. And she's like, did you? Yeah. Because I think I undid my sister. So she's beating her with a fucking crutch. Yeah. But yeah, it's a good, like, the reveal I was just a bit met on. But, like, you have to have it. Uh, but uh, yeah, I'd figured out really early who the killer was. So I wasn't too fussed on that. Yeah, I mean, I think the I think they make more sense than Charlie and Jill. Like Jill makes a ton of sense in her reveal in four. Like every like I love Jill's ghost face reveal. I think jo- Jill's a really good ghost face. I think her like motivation, everything, the whole scene where she like beats the shit out of herself is fucking brilliant. I think Charlie is one of the most pointless ghost faces. Yeah. Um, whereas in this one, I thought that they both made sense as a ghost face. And I feel like Amber was the mastermind and Richie just did kind of like, I don't know which kills Richie would have been responsible for. Um, because it seems like he's never there when they happen. Like I would assume probably maybe Vince, Mm. but then Amber's there when that happens as well. So I don't really know who he actually was responsible for. I killing. think in a couple more watches, we'd we'd be able to figure out who killed who. Yeah, but... yeah. But I I thought the last like the end of the movie was really really good. Um, like obviously like both Sydney and Gail being there, and like Sydney's fucking awesome in this yeah, movie. Yeah, Sydney's done with people's shit. In yeah, this film. like the bit where she's walking up the stairs and she gets the phone call and she's like, "I'm bored," and she just puts the phone. It's like I've heard this shit already. She's like. You're the most. It's a bit as well. You can hear Ghostface go. Wait. <laughs> she just hangs up. She's, and like, she's like, "You're Bye. the most derivative one so far," and she just puts the fucking phone down on him. 
I thought that whole thing was like, this is a different Sydney. This is like not like the Sydney that we're used to seeing. Like the this is Sydney on the offensive rather than Sydney on the defensive. And I really like that about her. Like she's not in like, and they don't waste any of the scenes that and she's in. And also, I love the fact that as she goes up the stairs. She shoots through the door of every room. Yeah, because that's how she ends up shooting. Because she shoots um, Richie, in, Richie the in the leg, and uh, he's all like, "Oh, why have you done that?" And she's like, "I told you to come out." Like, and he's like, "Yeah, but." It's like he does have an amazing line delivery though when Ghostface pops up behind fucking Sydney and he's like, "Holy shit, it's Ghostface!" <laughs> I just I thought that whole scene, that whole bit was fucking hilarious. Um, yeah, but, but yeah, like I thought, like, and there's a there's a couple of scenes where they try to like misdirect you where they think that like where like the the big the big telling one with Amber is when she's in the basement mm. and she's talking to Mindy and then. She does crazy eyes, mm. and then that a hundred percent gives away who she is. I also love the scene where after she shot Liv, and she goes, "Welcome to Act 3 and everybody in the house scatters. Mm. When she goes outside and like fakes being attacked in front of Sydney and Gail, and Sydney and Gail just look at each other like trap, like, and she's like, "Fuck it," and she just tries to shoot both of them, and she ends up shooting Gail. Mm. Um, I thought that bit was really cool as well, where they're just like, Sydney and Gail are so just fucking done with this shit. They're like we just want to live like normal lives and like we just we just don't care like they obviously do care they obviously want it to be stopped and like sydney says that great line in the car which is like no more fucking books no more movies no more fucking ghost face and i was just like yeah Yeah, because there's a great line it's at the very end where sam speaks to sydney and gail and uh gail's like i think um i don't think this one will be the story let's let them die in anonymity She's like, I think I could write a book about the small town sheriff. Yeah. And I was like, oh. She's like a good guy, a good guy who did right by everyone. Mm-hmm. And I, do you know the interesting thing? And like, this is like, everyone always talks about how like Halloween plays with trauma with like Laurie and stuff. And like, I've always made a really good point of talking about how this franchise has like carried Sydney's trauma through. And like, I love that scene towards the end when Sam says to her, she's like, am I going to be okay? And Sydney's like, yeah, maybe, like, one day. And she's like, you know, she's worried about, obviously, what's going to happen to her. Um, And I thought that was really interesting of, like, her saying to her, like, you know, is it going to be okay? Um, I thought that was really cool. Um, And, like, there's a really cute moment. Like, I love it when, like, Mindy's being, like, Mindy's on the fucking stretcher. Mm. And she's being wheeled past Chad. And they just kind of go, like, they put thumbs up to each other. Which I just think is so fucking funny. Um, yeah, there's a few really cool Easter eggs in this movie as well. Uh, there's an Elm Street sign. There's a reference to Sydney living on Elm Street. Uh, they have a party when Wes dies, and it's for Wes. Mm-hmm. And I love the fact that the in-character films from the universe that was created by Kevin Williamson and Wes Craven get to give... Wes Craven, a, 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 an in-universe send-off. Mm. Like, I think that's really cool. Um, there's a couple of other little Easter eggs. Apparently, there's a scene... This is the scene that I didn't see earlier. The scene where Richie's watching the YouTube video of Chelsea and James from Dead Meat. Mm. Apparently, one of like the YouTube videos in the corner is like Survivor Kirby Reed. Um, and they, they, they reference Kirby, but I didn't see that in the scene. Um, so I don't know... 
I, I can't really comment on that Easter egg. Um, they they mention like a few other like I I love all the pointed digs at like elevated horror like they yeah. point at like Hereditary and the Witch and Babadook. Uh, they mention Jordan Peele. They don't mention the big boy Ariaster, but they mention fucking Hereditary, um, which I thought was cool. Um, obviously, we get the whole thing with Randy, like his ha- the home theater in Martha's house is like dedicated to him, and it's that fucking stupid painting. <laughs> He's wearing like a cravat or some shit. Yeah. It's really funny. Like I thought that was cool. Um, I love the fact that Martha's in this movie. Yeah, it's the, it's the Randy Meeks Memorial Home, home Cinema theater. Home yeah. Theater, and like next to the two, the, next to the plaque and the two pictures of him are all the stab movies on the shelf which i think are really cool um i'm putting it out there now seeing as i saw someone mention it on wikipedia that uh Dwayne martin who played joel was uh meant to have been in this movie i'm putting it out there head canon is that joel is matt uh mindy and uh chad's Chad dad because that motherfucker got a taxi and we never saw him again i'm just saying just saying um but yeah like overall um the 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 other thing i guess i guess I have to ask you is we have to talk about the Wes of it all. Mm. Um, if I think the radio silence, obviously were fans of the franchise and fans of Wes Craven's mm-hmm. filmmaking style in general, mm-hmm. because there are a lot of scenes in this movie that are designed to look like Wes Craven scenes. Mm-hmm. Um, if you had told me that no, like Wes Craven hadn't directed this movie, like, obviously, I know he didn't because he's passed away. I wouldn't have been able to tell because um, this does feel a lot like Wes at his most funny and his most savage. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they did a really good job of emulating his style, bringing their own style to it, but making it feel like a part of the franchise that Wes was such a big part of. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love the fact that the film is dedicated to him. I don't know how you felt because it, mm-hmm. it feels like a screen movie, like... Yeah, it feels like a screen movie. Um, I don't really know that much about Wes Craven's back catalogue. Like, I was never a huge Wes, Wes Craven fan. I mean, I wasn't a horror fan until like a year ago. So, yeah. Um, but I, I, th- I think it, I think it does the franchise justice. Um, it feels like a screen movie. Do you think they made a movie he would be proud of? I think so. I think so. I think he'd be pissed that they made the killer so obvious. <laughs> But I think he'd be vaguely... He'd be like, I'm mostly proud, but you really fucked up on the killer. Like, I'm just putting it out there. Should not have been that obvious that early on. They'd be like... I think Wes would be sat there being like, those boys like Scream 3. I'll put a dead ghost mum in Scream 3. These lads put a dead ghost dad in here. He's like, I'm all about that life. He's like, like, I love that shit. Um, But yeah, seriously, I think... I think even though I had a lot of issues... I had some issues with it... I think I'm going to need to watch it a few more times to gen- to like really fall in love with it. Um, I think the only other person that I could see making a Scream movie and making it feel like a Wes Craven movie is Jordan Peele. Mm. But I know that Jordan Peele would never do it. Mm. Like He's producing a remake of The People Under the Stairs and I know that he has a lot of reverence for Wes Craven. But I also know that he's interested in like telling his own stories. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, like I love Radio Silence. I love the segment of VHS that they did. I love Ready or Not. Um, I was very excited to see them take up the mantle. 
And I would love if they do make Scream 5 and 6, if they if there are a couple more movies in this franchise, because it does leave you with a couple of loose ends that they can pick up in mm-hmm. future movies. Like, it has a conclusive ending, but there are obvious places that the franchise can go should they choose to, like, uh, pick it up again. Um, I think that, Re- that Radio Silence should direct however many more of these sequels are left. So you've got... The Wes Craven section and then the Radio Silent section. I wouldn't want to see anybody else pick it up. Mm-hmm. Like I feel like the first four movies have a definitive voice. They have Wes's voice. They have Kevin Williamson's voice. And I would like to see if they do five and six, it for, for, for it to be Radio Silence that follows the rest of the franchise five and through. Six, if they do six and seven. Six and seven. Sorry. Yeah, that's what I meant. Like if they do the other two, I would like to see Radio Silence follow that through and pick up the threads that they weave with this movie, mm-hmm. just so the two different sets of films have a continuous voice through them. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I don't. As I say, I don't have a huge amount of complaints. I just didn't love it in the way that I was expecting to love it. But I think it's always hard with a new screen movie for me to love it as much as the first movie because the first movie i said it when we reviewed it the first movie changed my life like i will always credit that movie as being one of the movies that and the crow the two movies that changed my life um and i'm always going to have a personal attachment to that movie and i'm always going to have a very personal attachment to wes craven and to kevin williamson um, and i'm always going to be thankful for them for for creating this franchise and, and that first movie I think the problem is now is like, as I said, if it hadn't been spoiled for me, I think some of the surprises would have hit a lot closer to home. And I think I would have been a lot more shocked and I would have got more enjoyment out of it. But that's not to say that the film, because films like these have to stand up to repeated viewings anyway. So you're going to watch it more than once. So it's not to say that that because it was spoiled, it ruined it for me because I still found it a very enjoyable movie. I just think that there are some avenues that they could have taken bigger risks and they could have paid off the story in a much more interesting way. But with that said, I'm not mad at the movie we got. And I think that the new cast members blended very well with the legacy cast members. Mm-hmm. Um, they like M- Melissa Barrera as the new final girl. If they choose to have Sam Carpenter as the new final girl, her and Jenna Ortega are both very, very capable actresses. I think Jasmine Savoy Brown and Mason Gooden are both great additions to the franchise. Um, I think that they work with the legacy cast very, very well. And I think this is probably the best cast in a screen movie, maybe since the first one. Um, I just wish that it had been a little bit more daring in some of its choices. But overall, I'm going to give it a four out of five um, because I did enjoy it. The kills, I mean, we haven't even talked about the kills in this movie, really. But the kills are fucking brutal. Like, Wes's kill, particularly where he gets the knife through the neck, is Mm. pretty savage. It is savage. Uh, The opening attack on Terra in the house is fucking savage. Uh, Dewey's kill is one of the most harrowing kills, I think, in the entire franchise. Um, And it's one of the bloodiest as well. Um there are a couple of the kills that were a little bit dry for me. I thought that Vince's kill was pretty boring. I thought Liv's kill was pretty boring. Um, but like the way that the two killers go out, I thought was fucking awesome. Like Liv, espe- uh, not Liv, Amber, especially being set on fire and then having a couple of bullets put in her, I thought was fucking cool. Um, and I really just love the way that Sam got rid of Richie. I thought that was fucking cool as well. Um, 
But yeah, overall, minor complaints aside, it's a movie that I wanted to love and I ended up liking. But I feel like over the years, it's probably going to become one of my favourites. Because it's definitely better than three and four. What about you? Um, I'm going to give it a four. It's a really well-made movie. Uh, it's really fun to watch. Uh, it, the kills are super fun. Uh, the plot is enjoyable. I like legacy characters. I like what they did with them. I like the new cast. Uh, my only major complaint is that uh, there is places that they didn't go they could have. And also, um, it was way too obvious who the killers were. Yeah. Yeah. But, so that's our thought. What are you going to give it out of five? Four, I just said that. Oh, sorry. But that's our that's our thoughts on the new Scream movie. Uh, join us next week. I well, was so insulted then that I turned into <laughs> Owen Wilson briefly. Uh, join us on Monday when we will be looking at the Korean smash hit zombie movie Train to Busan. Busan. Have you seen Scream yet? I hope if you've listened to the end of this podcast that you I have. I really hope you have, yeah. Uh, what did you guys think of it? Let us know. Uh, come join us on social media. Twitter, S-I-M-H-A-M. S-I-M-A-H-F pod uh, Instagram and Tumblr so I married a horror fan all lowercase all one word let us know what you think of Scream let's get into some theories let's get into some discussions um, I hope you guys are still staying safe and as I say we'll see you on Monday for our look at Train to Busan um, stay spooky stay safe and we'll see you soon take care guys bye <laughs>